necessarily. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we worship you. We thank you for, so much for your presence with us here. Well, we praise you for the sermon this morning. Eli did a fantastic job. Well, we praise you that you would watch over Pastor Mac as he goes down to Peru and, and helps to minister with the booths. And Lord, in safe trip home. Lord, we also pray that your spirit would guide us and direct us through your word this morning. Lord, that your word would be meaningful. That your, that your word would minister to us individually that we would gain something from this that we hadn't seen before, Lord. So we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Hebrews chapter 12 now. Remember, after we finish Hebrews, we're going to Daniel, so I haven't forgotten that, so we're going to be doing that. You know, number one, if a good teacher knows that in order to con convey true meaning to his audience, usually can use and probably should use metaphors and similes. And I had to ask my wife the difference in the two. You know, metaphor is, is it's something is used in, in the exception of what you're talking about. An assembly is you use the word like or as. They're really the same thing. Assemblies and metaphors are good, right? Yes. <laughs> in the New Testament, Christian life is often, often compared to everyday things, events, practices. Paul tells us to be, number one, good soldiers of Christ in 2 Timothy 2. He also says to put on the full armor of God in, in Ephesians 6. Paul calls himself a slave and a bondservant every time he seems like, every time he, he introduces himself, like in Romans and Philippians and Titus, he calls him that, himself that. Jesus refers to his followers as light and salt. And Peter refers to Christians as babes and living stones. So um, in this particular section here, Paul, and I think this is a good reason why I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, Paul used the metaphor as we are running a race, well, of Hebrews. So I think, not that it matters, because it doesn't matter. We'll find out one of these days. Like I said, that'll be one of those things you walk up to Paul and he'll say, yes. <laughs> you don't have to ask him, did you write Hebrews? He'll just say, Yes. <laughs> anyway, Hebrews 12.1, what does it say? Let's look at that. It says, and I'm reading from Amplified, therefore, now every time I see a therefore, what do you should do the same thing? Therefore, what, just like Eli says, go see what it's there for. So go back up a little bit. He says, in verse 38 of the previous chapter, man of whom the world is not worthy, roaming over the desolate places and mountains and living in caves and caverns and holes in the earth, all of these though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised. Talking about all those people in chapter 11 that didn't know about Christ. They knew it was coming. It hadn't happened yet. Verse 40, because God had in us in mind, those in the dispensation of the age of grace, which we're in today, had, <clears throat> and had something better and greater in view for us, so that they, those heroines and heroines of the faith, should not come to perfection apart from us. That is, before we could join them. Then it says, therefore then, verse 1, verse chapter 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony of the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance on every unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us 
Let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. I know your, your verse is a lot shorter than that, but the idea there is, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, we're going to talk about that in more detail here in a minute. The term let us is often used to refer to only believers. It can be referred to as those who are not believers. In this case, I think it refers to everybody, believers and unbelievers. So he's saying there, <clears throat> he wants to address, as we know but full well, Hebrews is addressed to three different groups, right? Jews that have become true Christians. Jews that have tasted Christianity but are still hanging on to Jewish faith. And completely unbelievers. And, of course, we can also always, it also mentions, talks to us too, right? So there's really four groups. Now, here in verse 1, in unbelievers who think they're believers, there's a lot of those. Those have thought they've accepted Christ. They're still hanging on to Judaism. They're still hanging on to the old celebrations, the old rituals, all whole ceremonies. And they have perhaps made a profession of Christ. You know, that's what a lot of ministries today do. They make you make a profession of Christ, but it's from your head, not your heart. Yeah, I believe Jesus is God. Well, yeah, the demons know that. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Well, yeah, you've told me that, and I, I believe that you told me that. I believe you. But have you really brought him into your heart, accept him as Lord and Savior, and know that you're saved and have the Holy Spirit as a proof of that? Is that the case? Maybe not. You know what I'm saying? So those are the ones I think they're being addressed here. They have not begun the Christian race. They need to know about the Christian race. They know this is not going, just like Eli was talking about this morning, this is not something that you get and it's done. It's over. This is something you pursue, and you have to pursue it every day of your life. It never ends. You never quit learning. You never stop gaining spirituality, gaining Holiness, basically, that's what sanctification means, gaining holiness. So they have these people haven't begun the Christian race, which begins with salvation. They haven't actually gotten that yet. These truths here apply to real race runners. They okay, also, so it means both of those things. Now, this, so this particular phrase, uh, well, I'll, wait a minute, I'm going to get to that in a second. This the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you're not a true Christian, then get into the race. Because if you're not in the race, you can't win the race. If you are a Christian, run with endurance, don't give up, or you won't win the race. So the reason for us thinking this passage should be interpreted this way is the context of Hebrews. The premise is, we're not only instructing new Jewish believers in Christ, but we're instructing Gentile believers believers too, especially some unbelievers, those Jews who are still tightly grasping onto their Judean heritage. And there was a lot of those at that time. And I think there's still some of those today. So we all know some Christians are not even in the race. Some are merely uh, walking along, sitting and watching, perhaps. Scripture and biblical standards for holy living is, is a race. And it's not a morning devotional. It's not a once a week going to a building with a cross on top of it. It's a race you run every single day. The race in this particular uh, use here is the word 
agon, A-G-O-N, which is where we get the word agony. So that's the whole idea. The race is hard. It is agonizing. A race is always demanding to any athlete. A race is run with all their energy, all their effort, all their dedication. They don't go out and just jog. They don't go out and stop every once in a while. They strive to make it to the finish line. And that's what we should be doing too. This race is not a sprint either. This is a long distance run and you gotta pace yourself too. You don't wanna to sprint too hard or you'll wear yourself out. You wanna be sure that you're running consistently and steadfastly. Many of the Hebrew Christians had started well. They were thrilled with their new lives, but the shine had begun to fade. And why was that? Because we all face tribulation. We all face suffering. And sometimes those who just accepted Christ just verbally, they lose because they start having trouble. And then they say, where's God? Philippians 2.15 14 and 15, I'll read a couple of verses here. It says, do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation among whom you are seen as bright lights in the dark world. And then also in 1 Corinthians 9, it says... 24 and 25. Do not, do you not know that in a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize. So run your, your race so that you may hold, lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately, restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. So always have the desire to win with the knowledge that the battle's already won. We've already won. Now we're going to go over six things here in these three verses, one, two, and three of chapter 12. And the first one is the motivation to run the race. And what's the motivation? The first one, therefore, then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I think, I think that's misinterpreted. You know, do you think that when you go to heaven, you'll be looking and seeing what's happening down here on earth? No. I don't. We'll be too happy to be where we are, too, too glorified to be standing in the presence of God. So I don't think that's true. I think we have to say, number one, we all need a reason for doing the things we do. We need encouragement doing those things and I think that's what this is saying from the Hebrews chapter 11 list of heroes and heroines we get great encouragement as Christians because they made it and look at the stuff that they faced these people knew how to run the race for life they looked at things like fire lions conquerors Pharaoh torture imprisonment even death yet they were victorious over all of those things because of their faith so that's the cloud of witnesses I think we're, we're seeing. Since we have so many people that made it, so many people as good examples for us, then therefore we should do the same. The same God who was their God is our God. God has not lost interest in his people, Jew or Gentile, and he never will. 
we can run our race as they did. And it's not how we compare with them, but how our God compares with their God, same God. So therefore, whatever we do, we stay in the race, regardless of what comes our way. So that's the motivation. Number two, what is an encumbrance? That's a word you don't use every day. If you're a runner, your weight can be an encumbrance, right? Number two, an encumbrance word simply means something that weighs you down or diverts attention or saps your energy or deep or uh, excuse, excuse me, dampens your enthusiasm. So we can't win our race if we're encumbered by something. And boy, the world gives you all kinds of encumbrances. So a spiritual encumbrance to those, uh, the, to the writer of Hebrews, he was revealing that the Jews are holding on to something they shouldn't be holding on to. And what was that? Well, you can understand it, like we mentioned before. These are the people that grew up traditionally. Uh, their whole heritage was based on Judaism. And they grew up in that. And they also were told, if you go away from Judaism, you will be excommunicated, not only from the synagogue, but from your family, from your life, from your job, maybe even from your country. So what's the incentive for believing in Jesus? Well, there isn't one other than he's the truth. That's eternal life. I want that. I don't want to go through all this other man-made stuff, which is really what Judaism really is. It's a bunch of man-made stuff. Call it legalism if you want to, because that's really what it is. It's using, trying to use the law as the justification for you being worthy of salvation. Can you do that? No, you can't. Jesus could, because he was perfect. That's why he could die for our sins. But legalism today is, it exists everywhere. What, are, what do some denominations tell you? You have to do this, or you have to do that be saved. Or if you don't do this, you'll lose your salvation, right? You hear that all the time. No, that's not true. That's from the, basically the wrong thinking from the old covenant, from the, from the old Testament that you had to follow the law in order to be saved. No, you follow the law because the law tells you what sin is. And then you stay away from sin. That's the whole purpose of the law, but you look to faith for your salvation. And that's what it was in the Old Testament as it is in the New. Who's the father of our, of our faith? Abraham. When did he live? 2,000 years before Christ. When did Enoch live? Something like essentially about 5,000 years before Christ. So, well, listen, you know, that's a long time. Or that's, not, that's not right. See, two, three, about 3,500 years before Christ. So faith not works has always been the key to salvation. We know that. But listening to the rabbis or the priests of today or some denominations of today, what do they tell you? It's not faith. It's what you do. We know that's wrong because that's not biblical. So faith is trusting it's God and his word and being obedient to God's word. And how can you be obedient to something you don't know? Right? Well, what are we supposed to be doing? Reading God's word on a daily basis so you know what God wants. You know, people say, only if I only knew what God's will was for me. Read the word. He tells you what his will is for you in your life, time and time again. Now, not specifically, but it tells you what direction you should be going in so you can listen to the spirit and tell you what you should be doing. So ceremonialism, legalism, ritualistic things may be inspirational. Yeah, get that. 
but it's fleshly, something we don't need. So those are all encumbrances. So it says there, strip off, throw aside every encumbrance. And that sin which so readily clings and entangles, clings to and entangles us. So that's what we have to do. Number three, what does entangle us? What does it say? Sin. Sin's entangling. Okay, well, yeah. Jesus wasn't entangled in that because he was sinless. Some Christians are preoccupied, not necessarily selfish or egotistical. Now, this is a fine point, so, so listen to me. Some Christians are paying too much attention to what they are doing in the, in the name of the Lord and not concentrating on doing what they're doing for the Lord. See what I'm saying? They're listening or watching what people's reactions are to what they're doing. Am I getting through to them? If I'm not, I should change. He, that would be exactly why Jesus will say one of these days at the great white throne, he said, depart from me, I, didn't know, I don't know you. Yeah, but Lord, didn't we do things in your name? Didn't we say things in your name? Do works in your name? And he says, I never knew you. That's the point. So, that may sound like a distinction without a difference, but it is a huge dis difference. <laughs> Consider our focus should be where it should be on others, no doubt. But what we want to do is make sure that we're telling them the truth and then leave the resulting actions on their part up to the Holy Spirit. That's not our job. As long as we know we've given the truth to them, that's all we really need to do. Now, if they want more information, of course, we share that with them. But sometimes they just need to say, I don't need that. But if you've, if you've planted the seed, that may be all you needed to have done. Now, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the extreme example of our faith. So we need to be like Jesus, just like Eli was saying this morning. Uh, being the author means he is the word of God. It says that in John 1.1. 1, 1. So therefore, we also know the author or the, is the archegos or the chief leader, our preeminent example of faith. And so we need to be like him. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, like it says in Hebrews 4.15. So that's why we have a perfect sacrifice in him. And that is why our faith should follow the faith of those in chapter 11. Regardless of what we encounter in our lives, we need to keep going, we need to keep running the race. Jesus perfected faith. He finished his sacrifice for all. He accomplished salvation for everyone, and so the world has always mocked faith because they don't believe they have to run any kind of a race. They think they're good people. They even mocked Jesus hanging on the cross, if you remember. Jesus, quote, endured the cross, despising the shame. So why should we not also trust God and really pay attention to the fact that he suffered everything for us? So why shouldn't we suffer for him? What does it say? Verse 2, looking away to Jesus, who is the author, the leader, the source of our faith, giving first incentive for our belief and is also the finisher, bringing it to maturity and to perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising, ignoring the shame, 
is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that gets us to the next thing we're talking about. What was the prize? There it is. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross. Many races have prizes, as you well know. You know, there are wreaths for the ones way back in history. Trophies, ribbons, fame, money, recognition, all kinds of things. But what was Jesus' reward for his sacrifice? His agon, his agony, his race, he got a joyous reward. Obviously, the joy set before him, sitting down at the right hand of God. Obviously, we can't do that, but we can be with Jesus and be there and witness that. I'll read you from John 17, verses 4 and 5. It says, I have glorified you down here on earth. This is Jesus talking by completing the work that you gave me to do. He's talking to his father. And now, Father, glorify me along with yourself and restore me to such majesty and honor in your presence as I had with you before the world existed. He said, I have manifested your name. I have revealed your very self, your real self, to the people whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed and have kept your word. So we know that he has chosen us. We are his. We belong to him. That's amazing. So we run our race. Why do we run our race? Why do we do anything in this life? Why should we be doing anything in this life? We do it for the glory of God, right? So we can have the joy now through knowing we are doing God's will in our life. And what is that? Well, it depends on who you are. You know, I tell the guys at the ranch all the time, you are unique. Not only the fact that you will live forever, all people live forever. The question is, where are you going to live forever? Number two, you are unique. There is nobody else like you. You know, the greatest uh, proof of why we should be against abortion is a simple fact that what happens when a sperm and a Female egg get together and create a zygote. DNA is formed right then and there. And that DNA is unique to that individual person. No other person has that DNA. It is unique. It is special. It's a miracle. So therefore, life begins at conception. And DNA is something we have to remember. So therefore, we have joy in knowing that we are special. We are individual. We are unique. So therefore, we have something God wants us to do. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I, I, he said. I, somebody, some scientist, was able to actually take a picture of the actual moment of conception where a sperm and an egg meet. And what happened was on that picture was when the, that sperm met that egg, it, it started glowing. Light happened. There's the light of life right there. That's something cool. Instantly. Yeah. So as Jesus was exalted to sit at God's, God the Father's right hand, we're going to be rewarded. Philippians 3 says we're going to be rewarded for pressing on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what is that? We're going to run our race correctly. Fulfill it completely and finish it. Will we ever be as smart as Christ? People tell me all the time, we're going to have the mind of Christ when we go to heaven. No, 
you're going to be like Christ because you'll live forever. You're going to be like Christ because you're going to be holy. But we know what God knows. Heaven's no, you'll never know that. As a matter of fact, that's what's exciting about heaven. We're going to be learning for eternity. Isn't that cool? We're going to be learning more about God every single minute. If that's such a thing as a measurement of time in heaven, I don't know that. <laughs> Minutes, days, years, centuries, eons, I don't know. There won't be any time anymore. So, But anyway, we'll be learning all the time. Also, especially hearing from Jesus in Matthew 25, 21, what we all really want to hear, and that is, well done, good and faithful servant. Also, 2 Timothy 4, 8, I really like this one. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That means we all get a crown of righteousness. And what do we do with those crowns? We toss them at the feet. That's, that comes from Revelation chapter 4. It says, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. And all the, all the uh, Christians there throw their crowns at his feet. And the last thing we want to talk about is our exhortation, our rally. That's verse 3. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials, so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart, relaxing and fainting in your minds. So what is that saying to you? Well, it means that basically all races make people tired and weary. Yeah. Our race of faith can grow wearisome. We can waver a little bit. Yes. Jesus even wavered a little bit. Why do I say that? Remember what he said? Father, if it be your will, take this, this from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. So see, his humanity was saying this is going to be bad. <laughs> and it was very bad. Because he took on all of the sin of the world. From Adam to whoever that last person is that gets born in the millennial kingdom. He took on all the sin of them at the same time. So that hurt. And then what really hurt was when God, the Father, had to turn his back on Jesus because he became sin. He said, why have you forsaken me? That's the hurt. So, but, but if we can fix our eyes on Jesus, like it says in chapter 12, verse 2, and remember that cloud of witnesses as our example up there, they made it. So we need to make it too. They endured more than we did. Consider Jesus enduring faith leading up to his sacrifice for us. Then through the Holy Spirit's guidance, of course, we will be able to and are able to run our race properly. We will live our lives to the glory of God. We will one day soon live together with him, 1 Thess 5.10 but we can do and live like him today. All we have to do is do it. Like, like Eli said, our actions, do it right. And I'm gonna read you from Galatians 2.20. This is a familiar one, but again, it's not familiar coming out of the Amplified. You wouldn't want to memorize Amplified verses, I don't think. It's a little bit hard that way. I have been crucified with Christ. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body I live by faith, adherence and reliance and complete trust in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of mighty importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace of God. For if justification, which is righteousness, acquittal from guilt, comes through observing the ritual of the law, then Christ died groundlessly to no purpose and in vain. So that tells you real strongly exactly where we should be, and I think we all are there. Now, is that powerful or what? Three little verses in Hebrews. What does it say? Number one, it's amazing how, what it can, the depth of what we just got through reading. What does it say? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have an example to follow. Just read chapter 11 of Hebrews. Let us throw aside all our encumbrances. And what are they? That's the world. Habits. People. One of the strongest things that we try to tell the guys at the ranch is, don't go back. If you go back, you go back to old habits. You go back to old people that you used to know. They'll lead you back into the old habits. You go back to places. What happens when you go back to a place that you haven't been to in a while? Memories come back. Don't go back. Encumbrances. Look away to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. How do you do that? Stay in God's word daily. That's how you do that. The joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, he endured the cross. So what can you do? You can endure something too. What that might be? Just pain and agony, difficulty, rough road. You can do that. So just think of him who endured opposition, hostility, but do that so that you won't grow weary and losing heart. So run your race, run it successfully, run it with your eyes on Christ and listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. Anybody have any comments? Yes, sir. Person lived to be 70 years old. First, the last 30 years of their life, they believed in abortion. At what point is it just too late for them to change? They can change their mind anytime, but does that negate the relationship with God? Uh, let me approach it a different way. If someone claims to be a Christian and they reach the age of 70 and they still believe in abortion, I'd question their salvation, but that's not me to say, but I'd, I'd question that they were even saved in the first place. If somebody reaches the age of 70 and they're not a Christian, that's quite a feat. <laughs> that's a good thing, and never, it's never too late. So that's two different ways of answering your question. Yes, the answer to your question is no, it's never too late. But number two, if they're really a Christian, they shouldn't even think about things like that. The Holy Spirit should have led them away from that long ago. Oh, yeah. Never too late. Never too late. And of course, the best example of that is the thief on the cross. He, he died immediately, but he accepted Christ. So, but he's, he's still Old Testament. You know, that was still dying 
in the, in the age of the law. So basically he just by faith, he got righteousness. Okay. He will receive his new body after we get ours, but that that's later. But anyway, that's different. We can go into that. That's different. Well, I'm going to ask you because there are people that I've met older than I am that are adamant about, about it's never too late. No, it's never too late to be saved. Absolutely not. Or to change your ways. No, absolutely not. Anybody else? Any other comments about this today? Yeah. Precisely. Correct. We train every day by reading God's word. Absolutely right. You know, he's talking about being in the race and running the race and, and people not understanding what that really means. I would put it this way. The race from a Christian's point of view is not necessarily trying to win a, a worldly prize by any means. It's to win salvation, to be, win being with Christ. But it is something you have to overcome the world because the world can draw you away from, from Christ. And so, therefore, we have to run that race on a daily basis. It's just like you said. A lot of people become uh, want to be com competitors in a race simply to get in shape. What's, the, what's their goal? To get in shape. Well, you can do that. But your goal shouldn't be to get in shape. It should be to satisfy and please God. So we run a different race than most people do. Some people think if I get in shape, then God's going to look at me and be, be, be good to me and say I'm okay. No. Just running that race isn't enough. You know, you have to give yourself up completely. So that's, that's the analogy or the metaphor I would use. So running that race, running it the proper way is the right way to go. Right. And, and you know, go running, ahead. Running, the, running a little short race, like a mile, it's nothing. We are actually in a marathon. So it's a, mar it's a life marathon. marathon. A life marathon. Yeah, it is. And we will run that until the day he calls us home. Precisely. We will run our race until the day we're standing in front of Jesus. That's correct. And I'm praying that's the rapture. <laughs> yes, sir. We are we're so ready. Yeah. So then you never give up trying to share the gospel with anyone. Never. Period. Never. Never. I mean, no matter where they claim that they go to church or don't go to church, they need to hear the truth. Amen. Amen. That's our job. Because going to church in San Angelo, Texas does not necessarily mean you're a Christian. Even people in our church doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. Most of them are, I think, but there's still some that aren't. Sharing the gospel is a clincher, yeah. Yep, it's our orders. Yep, exactly. Yes, exactly. 
Now you might, God might say, well, you need to go over water a little bit more on that one. Yeah. He might tell you that, but he, it's still the Holy Spirit's job to turn that person's heart around. Yeah, absolutely. It's not yours. Yours is to show them what the truth is. Anyone else? Okay, let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you. Thank you for your word. It, it is so meaningful to us. It is so deep as we study it. It's the way we try to study it verse by verse to get the full meaning from each and everything, every word that you've actually written down for us. Lord, help us to run our race. Help us to run our race effectively and for the right reasons, Lord, we are trying to glorify you. We are trying to be examples. We are trying to be like Christ in the fact that he never sinned. We know that's impossible for us, but we also know that our sins are forgiven when we ask for that. And we should ask for that on a daily basis to keep us on the right path. But Lord, we, we want to do your will. We want to stay on the right pathway as we run our race instead of wandering all over we want to stay on that narrow path. So help us to do that, Lord. We praise you once again for health, for uh, answering our prayers when we pray for others. Lord, we pray for, uh, we pray for rain. We pray for your continued guidance in our lives. And we pray for the, this crazy nutty year that we call an election year, that you would be completely in charge of that. We know you, it's going to be done according to your will anyway, Lord. But we do pray that righteousness would surface, that people would see the corruption and the fraud that exists and it'd be removed so that we might have true representation as we used to have many years ago. Lord, thank you again for this time together and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.